You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you're smiling. Hey you, bubbly sparkling water is crisp, refreshing, and perfect for any occasion. Kind of like my voice, but in a can. No calories, no sweeteners, all smiles. Bubbly, crack a smile. Hello, movie lovers, and welcome to the show. This is your host, as always, from Movie Lovers Unite, John DeGorio, and I just want to sit, talk about something real quick, and that is Audible. What is Audible? I'm so glad that you guys asked. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers like Anne Rice, Stephen King, the list just goes on. Their whole entire catalog, when it comes down to audiobooks, is just fantastic. If you're on on the road and everything and you want an audiobook and you want to download it fast, go ahead, go to Audible. You're not going to regret it. They actually have a trial right now that you guys can actually jump on. You can actually go on ahead, go to the link, and it'll bring you up to that trial. And a matter of fact, every month, members actually get one credit to pick any title plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection and access to Daily News Digest from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. Another thing too, guys, that's not all they have. They also have, they also have, finish, if you actually want to go ahead and do some things to actually better yourself for 2021, they have stuff for that too, like finishing more books or becoming a better parent, leader, or a person. How-to books, which is something that everybody seems to grab onto a lot lately and everything else. So if you guys are actually looking for something to maybe better yourself for 2021, go on ahead, check out those books as well. They have a big catalog. You guys won't regret it. Go ahead, click on the link below in the description notes. Go on ahead. You guys won't regret it. Sign up for that trial period. And always, until next time, stay safe, guys, and enjoy the show. And God bless. Hello, movie lovers, and welcome to the show. For today's podcast episode and YouTube episode, we're actually going to be doing a little bit of a treat for everybody. I actually have Brock Tellman, Tellman Brock with me again today, and we're actually going to be doing a little bit of, some, we're actually going to do some topics for tonight. As a matter of fact, I actually had the privilege to actually interview him, what, about a month ago? Yeah, I think it was like a month ago. Right, and... You know, he actually has a little independent film out. I'm not sure if it's going to be hitting the Amazon or anything like that, because I remember at one time it was banned. The poster was banned and censored because of what it looked like. But, you know, like I said, I understood what you were going for. I understood the whole entire themes of what you were going for. And, you know, he's actually the independent director for the movie The Midas Touch. Not the commercial, but the movie Midas Touch. And you know, I like I said, I like the originality behind the Midas Touch. If you do not know what the Midas Touch is or anything like that, 
I'm actually going to have a link after the show to where you guys can actually view the trailer. But but further ado, let's go ahead and get on with it. So when we last talked, you know, uh, like I said before, you know, there was about censorship, about the fact that, you know, they, you know, they censored your poster, Amazon did. And then they said, well, we can't market this because of the way that the poster actually looks like. So I noticed that you changed the poster just now, just recently. Mm-hmm. Is that to actually help it market it to Amazon or has Amazon just turned their backs completely away from you after that? Well, they wouldn't have the first poster. So there is no way of, of being on Amazon unless we change the poster. So we had to do that. But we're still sticking with our poster, the original one for every other purpose other than Amazon. And we have a little something on our Instagram about that, how we do the past. You know, it's a little bit of an interesting poster, the first one was. You can read different things into it. And we was, I was surprised that, that Amazon would, would still make a big deal out of it because it's not, even, it's not a photo. Anything you show on a, on a photo that might be too graphic, I understand, but it's it's uh, just a you know like a work of art, and, and even on other uh, social media like Facebook, you can depict anything you like in a work of art, unless it's a, a picture or a movie. It's not edited, so we were surprised, but we ended up, I think, with the nice alternative. And I had the same guy, same artist, by the name David Chincho made another poster, and we're happy with that. And Amazon is, seems to be happy, too, because our um, distributor, our international American distributor, Indie Rights Movies, has sent it to uh, Amazon, and they seem to be fine with it. No objections so far, so we're happy. That's great. I'm happy that you were able to get everything up and running and everything. I was wondering about that myself. As soon as I saw the poster, I'm like, wait, this is not the same poster that I saw a month mm-hmm. ago. So yeah. there has to be some type of marketing behind this to actually get the ball moving on your movie because I actually do want to check this out on Amazon. As a matter of fact, I actually got the privilege to interview two other independent film directors that are like they're young in their teens. They just came up with their independent film, and I got a chance to actually watch that on YouTube, but it's also on Amazon as well. So I cannot wait to actually watch your film to be able to give it a proper review to actually watch your film. But like, let's go on ahead and talk about censorship for a minute here. Okay, so we talked about censorship last time, and we went into a little mm-hmm. bit of detail with it. But here's the thing. It's okay for a woman to show her breast on Twitter and have fans only, but it's not okay to have a poster plastered on what you have on that poster, which is something that I don't get. <laughs> yeah, it seems to have to do a lot with uh, different Pressure groups. You know, if you're in, if you have a, a a group, you make a group, and you say, okay, we're a group of women, and we're feminists, and we see um, actually that breasts should not be sexualized, and we want them to be seen just like men. It's unfair that men can show their breasts, and if you have a lot of people behind that, and and then it's it, it's I think that campaign was actually kind of smart because they're twisting it around. They're saying these are just boobs. Are you seeing anything sexual in it? You shouldn't. <laughs> so they had this campaign, and now everybody seems to be fine with that, not on all social media. And I think when you're interested to, to go against censorship, what you have to do is you just have to form a group and then go about that. And in my case, I'm happy that we can still use the original poster and that this is just for Amazon reasons. So I don't feel like 
I'm artistically cut, you know, I'm not, it's not like somebody is not allowing me to show that original poster. It's just a one specific side and everybody who wants to see it on Instagram. Everybody who wants to see it on our side can still see it. So I'm okay with that. So begrudgingly, I said, okay, let's have another poster, which is, of course, also a matter of art and work. And, but now that's the way it is, and I'm okay with it. Right. And here's the thing. I like this new poster. It actually shows the characters. It actually gives you the premise of what the film's about. It shows the bar scene where the guy is actually going to pick up the girl and everything because the girl the guy is a zero is basically what you said in the interview too is like the guy is a zero he has zero confidence in himself then all of a sudden he just becomes a trailer, guru trailer, not the poster. right I'm talking about that I'm like I'm talking about the poster on the details that it actually gives okay. yeah the new poster because mm-hmm. in the new poster it actually says this is what it's pointing out to me you actually have the characters in this bar scene, you have this other guy that's the zero. This is the main character who has zero confidence in himself. Oh, you confused me there. I thought, why is he saying that the, the poster depicts the bar scene? It's the guy from oh. the bar scene in the book. Sorry, sorry, I didn't get you that. It's okay. It's okay. It's perfectly fine. I understand. But yeah, that's what I picked up from this new poster and mm-hmm. everything. So, you know, and I understand why you went with that one. It's actually a mostly like a family friendly type of poster compared to the other one you know but you know censorship is something that i just don't understand and everything because it's art and not only that but you know there's actually times when guys are actually pictured from the bottom down too it's not as big in the movies or anything like that but i've seen where men genitals are actually presented game of thrones for example you also yeah, have movie actually right and then forgetting <laughs> sarah marshall was another thing five to ten minute uh scene where the where peter's uh dick is actually all over the place for like five yeah. to ten minutes a very good example because it's, i think it's easier with um it's interesting you know if you compare a man's body and a woman's body it's easier to show the fun bit of it and the comedy of it you know because she's yeah. in that scene it's i like that scene is great that you picked that as an example. She wants to uh, basically dump him, say it's over and leave him, and he's prepared, you know, like a sexy moment, the bad is there, and he's all naked. And it's so completely out of touch because he, he, didn't, he didn't think that she was going to leave him. And so it's not sexual at all. We're right. watching him. He is naked. You see his, his dick there, but all we think is, oh, God damn it, he didn't understand. He thought they were you know, still in the relationship, it's going to last. And so it's it's nice in a way that you, it depicts nudity, but it's not sexual. It's funny. You know? And so th- that's possible, right? Right. And that's another thing, though, too. Women are like, well, we always get our breasts exposed, we always get our vagina exposed, but there's nothing there for us and then finally we actually have it now to where men are actually being exposed the same way that women are but not as big as it is you know what i'm saying it's not as out there as it as it should be it should be fair on both ends it shouldn't just be fair on one end or the other but you know like i said before it's uh, the way that european models actually show is this nakedness is actually art in itself and everything and the, with us as Americans and everything, we always go with the lustfulness of our eyes and stuff like that, and we mispresent the actual art in itself and everything. We just see the beauty of the 
woman and then the lustfulness of the woman rather than just the artwork and everything yeah. else that should be presented to us. And, you know, that's the difference between people that live out in Europe and the Americans because we just go ahead and our imaginations are just running wild. <laughs> we'll just put it that way. Right. And we, we've had this for a long time. I remember there's this movie in the 70s, many movies in the 70s. I don't know if you've seen 1900 by Bernardo Bacellucci, which is a, a huge movie. You know, it's about three and a half hours. And there's a scene with Gerard Depardieu and Robert De Niro, and they're both naked. You know, <laughs> you, can, you can see and nobody made a big deal out of it. I don't think that most Americans know that, that Robert De Niro ever showed his penis on camera. And so it was because it's so, so unimportant and nobody makes a scandal out of that. And even in the 70s, it was not a big deal. And people were so much more into the content of the movie and what it portrayed. And as you said, uh, nudity was, was, you know, seen as art and it had been in art works of art for a couple of hundred of years. And so it always depends on how you like to, to scandalize it. Obviously now it's a different situation because the media is more and more interested in, in you know, getting some dirt together of, of actors and, and, and directors and making a scandal out of it because they sell papers that way. Um, I hope that it will change eventually in America too and it will be a bit more relaxed. I would like to see that. Right, exactly. That's what I'm trying to get at, though, too. Anything for publicity and everything, negative publicity at that, to give somebody a negative image, and that's not even right. It's not even called for. And, you know, like I said before, it's just art. It's just beautiful artwork and stuff like that. Now, let's go on ahead and talk about the differences between American-made films and overseas films like you're doing What's the difference between the two? I mean, is it just like the way we do things or is it set up differently with the budgeting for a movie over there and stuff like that? Because I know it's totally different because of uh, the coin that you guys actually use, too. Of the what we use? Uh, you know, the difference in pounds and stuff like that, the money usage. Oh, okay. you're referring to. Um, I, th I think the bigger difference is not between American and European uh, movie making, but between uh, production, big corporate production, uh, film companies, movie making, and uh, independent movie making. I think that's that's a, a big difference. Um, I'm not, I think if you are on a very small budget like we were, we shot this for basically around $350,000, and mm. then you have to be, you, just, you have to improvise. You have to, you know, plan on the other end also um, before that. But I think it's not the, the um, independent movie making. I think it's not so much different in the States. And when it comes to the big movies, the really huge movies, we don't even make them in Europe. They're hardly movies of a budget of 200, 300 million euros or dollars for that matter. These movies, I think, for a long time will be made only in, in co-production, at least, with the big American studios. But I think the situation for independent filmmakers pretty much the same. Uh, you need to, to plan well. You need to see how can I get this done? How can I shoot this fast? Because basically what a low budget means is not a lot of shooting days. <laughs> so we, right. we shot 25 days, and we shot about, uh, yeah, that, well, if you – Consider the whole length of the movie that's close to four minutes a day. 
So on that's it's almost like a soap opera. In a soap opera, they shoot like seven minutes a day of footage that they actually end up using. In a movie, they'd like to have um, with a big budget, they shoot a minute, minute and a half a day. And so you don't have a lot of chances to, to make mistakes <laughs> and you don't have to, can't afford to, to shoot too many times with 22, 23 takes. It's better be three or four takes and then you gotta, you gotta move it. And um, the funny thing was when I'd written the, the screenplay, I went to, to, you know, cast my director of photography and I went to talk to different people. I said, oh, you know, this is not gonna be so difficult, I wrote a reasonably cheap movie, there are no explosions and there's no this and that, which is so expensive. But then they, they said, well, look at that. Look, look at the characters you have. Look at the, the different um, uh, sets you're going to have. It's not going to be that cheap. You know, it's not going to be easy to shoot on that kind of budget. The locations, too, alone, the locations alone will actually cost yeah. you a pretty penny as well, too. That's it. It's very, very expensive to shoot them on a location. And so we just had a couple of locations. A lot of it we shot in a, in a, a studio. We got the chance of, of renting a, a huge, actually it was a car dealer's empty uh, a lot. And so we got that and we, we were able to, to get that for a month. And we had production uh, offices and a lot of scenes built up this. We had a little, it was nice. We had scenes that were depicted in, in uh, the, the um, Middle East. And, and it was all just studio scenes, but it worked out nice. It's also good if you want to shoot um, something that's more along the lines of a fairy tale, because mm. you can use that artificial in the, the circumstance, artificial circumstances, and make it look according to a fairy tale. Whereas when you want to have a, a very realistic look and shoot a very realistic movie, if you want to do this not on the streets but on the set. Then that's kind of hard to achieve because you got to be very good in set building and setting that up. So, in a way, I think it came in handy for us that it was supposedly a kind of fairy tale, a movie. Right. Because you have to do something that's very, very simplistic. You actually have to make it to where it fits in with your budget and stuff like that, too. And that's why we actually have maybe a lot of independent films where it's just set in like one room versus going into different several other locations because it's actually easier to shoot that way. Because mm -hmm. like I said, locations and everything take a while to actually, you know, it takes a big chunk of your money by yeah. shooting in location. That's another big thing. That's what happened with the original director for It. The guy wanted to shoot in New York and Warner Brothers shot him down. They said, no, it's going to cost you this X amount of money to shoot in New York. So they parted ways over differences of opinion. Then we got Anthony Muschietti involved. And mm -hmm. he decided, they said, look, I can shoot this movie somewhere else cheaper than what the other director wanted. So, of course, they went with Andy Muschietti. So that's what happened with it. So that's actually the same thing that goes on hand in hand as independent directors too, where it's like, okay, I can't shoot at this location. So I have to do what benefits me and what helps roll the camera, what helps me to revive for myself as a, someone that's actually developing art to where I can actually do this for my budget. 
And that's the hardest thing, though, because pretty soon you actually run out of money. And then before you know it, you actually have to do some GoFundMe. So you have to go ahead and do what Kevin Smith did, uh, sell his whole entire comic book collection, just so we can actually make ends meet. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a hard thing. Everybody thinks it's an easy job to do, but it's so much harder and everything as an independent artist and stuff like that, too, because you're trying to make yourself known. But at the same time. You're also having to be in the fight with all these other studios to try and get yourself known. You're pretty much uh, at the bottom where nobody will notice you. So therefore you have to keep climbing that wall and everything too, but you're actually making art at the same time. And that's the beauty of what you're trying to create and everything. And that's something that I actually understand from both sides. I understand from a studio side of things for their perspective, but I also understand from an independent film fan as well and i love independent films versus big budget films for instance batman versus superman cost 250 million dollars to make in order for Mm -hmm. you to make that budget back it would have to gross uh that much money in three weeks and that movie didn't gross that much money in three weeks because of the split between the audience score and also to the critic score as well and therefore, it did not make its money back the way it needed to make its money back. And then you take a third away from that because it goes into the movie theaters. And then, of course, after that, mm-hmm. it goes into the box office. And before you know, you actually have to pay the PR people, everybody else that was in there. So before you know it, <laughs> it didn't make as much as you actually think it made because of the fact that it got eaten up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's, that's difficult. And if you have a... a Big budget movie like that, then this is only one way to go. You you got to have a, a a superhero movie. Or the other thing that you can do, you can make a very well known uh, animated character. Maybe that, that's the only way. Two ways you can you can do it because if you look at the list of the hundred movies that first most uh, money, then that's all there is. There are superhero movies and some some animation movies and. So that's a bit, and, and we got that now. What the development is that many people pointed this out lately is that you got those super high budget movies, and then you got the really low budget movies. But for a while, there were no reasonably budgeted movies like between twenty five and, and seventy five million dollars, let's say. But I think it's getting better now because we got now new. Producers like Jason Bloom, who go to genre movies, they have horror movies, and they say, well, we don't need the stars, but we, we have a reasonable budget. We want to pay everyone their usual Hollywood you know, scale of the people who work for the production. And we can do this for 20 to $30 million, and we, just, we are very much captivated. We need good actors, but not famous actors. And we just have interesting movies, like interesting stories, like the the Purge or movies like that. Mm-hmm. And I think so that's what we see a bit, um, the character and uh, content-driven movies uh, coming back, which is so, so weird that we even have to talk about content-driven movies. Should be, everything in a movie should be content, right? but that's not always right. it. But I think we're on the basis that after all of that, television you know, has come up with interesting ideas. I think movies are picking up. And if it hadn't been for, for Corona, we might have seen a bright future, but now we don't know about that anymore. No. Well, speaking of Corona, though, I have to say there is some positives with the Corona thing, though. Sure. Because of the Corona, we're actually getting more independent films than we ever did before. Yeah. And, everything. Yeah. and 
And we have people that still go, oh, well, where's all the original movies coming from? Where are they? And finally, they're actually, the doors are being busted wide open because people are hungry for content now. So therefore, the studios are actually trying anything they can to actually satisfy that need and want. So now we're actually getting What was that? Everybody's at home binge watching, so they need yeah. a lot of new content, right? On that with our movie, too. Right. Well, another thing, too, is, though, that's like Frenchie said on his channel is like, you know, because of this virus, we're so hungry for content and new things. We never would have thought that certain movies would actually come to Netflix or anything like that because it was probably be made for something that was made in theaters. For instance, we have the old guard that came out on Netflix. That was probably, that was actually made for a big uh, movie theater. Then we have the five bloods that came out as well. And that, and if you look at the casting for the five bloods, you actually have Chadwick Boseman in that movie. who's a big <laughs> name star before he yeah. passed away. And right. if you actually think about it, that movie would actually sold tickets and everything if it wasn't for the coronavirus so mm -hmm. it actually has its positives and negatives like everything else but okay. it also gives us some breathing room some for some creativity on things that we probably wouldn't have even checked out because all because those smaller films seem so little because of the fact that you have those big huge budget films that we always go to those blockbusters that mm -hmm. we gravitate towards and that's why we would actually go see them rather than the smaller films. But now because there is no big blockbuster films that much, we can actually celebrate smaller films. So that's yeah. actually a little bit of a positive. But now we yeah. have this whole entire thing with HBO Max and Warner Brothers, this war going on between them two. Well, the big, uh, com uh, the big companies, which is waiting for a chance to, to cut out those rules that you have to have a, a movie international release for some time and then release it um, after, what was it? First it was six months and now it was six weeks. And now, of course, they're happy and they say, oh, well, this is Corona. We can't do that. The only thing we can do is have a theatrical release simultaneously with an online release. And so they're just, you know, happy about that chance and it'll never go back. It'll never be movies be released exclusively for a certain amount of time theatrically. And that's a bit of a shame because people yeah. are uncomfortable at home and maybe we'll see the you know, dying of, of movie theaters or at least closing of a lot of movie mm. cinemas, I'm afraid. That's that's gonna happen next year, I think. I do too. I, I'm I'm hate to say it, but you know, before this virus even happened, AMC was also a billion dollars in the hole before the virus even happened. <laughs> and so I wouldn't be surprised. And if, and even if they get a backer that happens right off the, that happens next year, which I highly doubt, they could probably, don't get me wrong, you can actually probably get other movie studios to go ahead and help them out. Maybe a movie studio might want to buy out a movie theater because they can actually buy movie theaters now. But still, fifty years, but now they can do it again, right? Right. So my thing is, though, it's also going to be a risk, though, a risk factor, because if I'm an investor, if I'm going to invest into a movie theater, let's say I know Disney has over a billion dollars, but as someone that's actually invested their time and energy into something, it's like, do I want to go on ahead? and invest in something that I'm not sure that's going to be available in the future because we mm -hmm. have the streaming services now that are offering movies, big budget films now that we were going to release in theaters. 
So right. are, is it worth the hit or is it not worth the hit? That's actually the difference. But the way that Warner Brothers is actually doing it is kind of smart, though, because what Wonder Woman 1984, you know, you're releasing it to the overseas movie theaters and you're also releasing it onto the streaming for a short period of time and then it goes away. So mm -hmm. you're making money, but you're also missing out on the U.S. box office, but you're still making money somewhere or another. But I can actually respect them for the fact that, hey, look, let's try it on both ends. For people who want to go out and see the movies, let's go on ahead and put it into the movie theaters and put it on the streaming service. Let's make it comfortable for both people so that way they can go out and see the movie that the, the way they want to actually see it. So it mm -hmm. can actually work on both ends if they actually choose to do something like that. You know, not just for the overseas, but for the United States box office, too, because we also have California who actually in New York, those movie theaters are actually shut down. And those are the big chunk that actually comes into the box office. All right. So. What do you think? Yeah, I think you had some good points there, and I, I think I agree. But um yeah, the, the amount of people that are really dying to see a movie with uh, with a big audience and a, on a huge screen is is limited. In a way, then again, um, the superhero movies are helping us because then people think, "Oh, I really want to see this with surround sound. I really want to see the big explosions or other action movies. I want to hear that. I want to be immersed in that um, experience." So maybe that will help a little bit. But probably not many people will find a reason why they should see a little independent drama movie on anything else but on their, you know, home video, right. whatever device they have. Right? Is there somebody? Larry, yeah. Is he something popping? Yeah, Larry Lease, he go from Cinnamon Gold from his podcast. He oh, said, great. I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready for Wonder Woman 84. I am too, man. I'm excited. I want to see see it. In, so I'm excited about that. Right. Hold what on. What was that? WWE 84? Uh, repeat that? What was that he's done to see? I don't even, I saw that. It said on the WWE 84. What was the movie? Yeah, Wonder Woman 84. Ah, oh, Wonder, sure, sure. Yeah, I, I didn't yeah. know that I'm looking forward to that. I love the, the, the other Wonder Woman movie. And as much as I don't like uh, superhero movies so much, I like that it was a bit of, of an intelligent plot. They had all this Greek and Latin myth going with it. And that was a smart movie for, for, for what it was. And so I'm, I'm going to check that out too. When is it going to be released? Somewhere in March, May, April? If, to be honest with you, Wonder Woman 84 is actually going to be released on the 25th on HBO Max, and it's going to be in the overseas uh, overseas area on the 25th as well. Oh, so, wow. yeah. So, you know, I'm excited for it. I like Greek mythology. I've always liked Greek mythology and stuff like that. But yeah, mm -hmm. that's what Larry said. He has his own little podcast channel called Cinema Gold. Go ahead and check that out, guys, whenever you guys have a chance. Yeah. It's a great podcast. But yeah, about movies as well yeah he talks about movies he does movie reviews and stuff like that his <laughs> stuff is really good so i recommend his channel and also schmoes of the north <laughs> so have me on your podcast i definitely will try and get you on there <laughs> um do some more marketing for my movie 
Exactly. Hey, you can always use more. <laughs> yeah. There's no such thing as too much. But, you know, let's go on ahead and talk about some of the other stuff. I know that you wanted to jump into some other topics, too. Uh, mm -hmm. We talked about the censorship. We talked about the difference between um, American and European um, box office and stuff like that. But another thing, too, that I was actually wondering about is the fact that whenever you're telling a story, whenever something's overseas, like, let's say, for example, the girl with the dragon tattoo, for example. How do you go from telling a story about that and why, how is it, why is it hard to translate that story into a North American version? Why is it so hard to actually do an overseas movie and then when we try to convert it over to the U.S., how is that actually, how is that hard for us? I think, you know, for once you don't have to do this at all. You can just show the original movie, but then there's a, a tendency to dislike, uh, you know, either dub movies or movies with uh, subtitles. But that's what um, now it's a bit about to change, you know, with movies like Parasite, South Korean movie. Um, being accepted in the states, I think there'll be there'll be less of an obstacle. But obviously, there's more money to be had if you have a new movie of the same script, because in most cases you don't you don't need to do that. And I don't know what well I do know why they do that, uh, because uh, well then they say well, who's going to see that as a, a Norwegian actor or this is a, um, doesn't relate to an American audience. I think the the most important factor is, is the star fact that you need American stars, uh, like this movie with uh, Will Ferrell, which is uh, made, that's a, a remake of a Norwegian movie, it's coming out now. I don't see anything in the story of, of the movie that would not translate of the original movie to American audiences. You know, have, you, have you heard of that? That's a, it's a guy, he's with his family in a skiing vacation, and then there's yeah. a... It's called Downhill. Yeah. Has it been released yet? I don't know. I, I like yeah, it. Was it was released, but it didn't do so well at the box office. It's also a remake as well. It was also yeah, a remake yeah, at one time. It, it, it's a remake of, of that uh, Norwegian movie. And that's why I'm uh, seeing it as an example for a movie. Because you were asking me why did they have to... Uh, remake them or why do you, do you have to tell them at all or make a new movie I don't think you do because if you live in a big metropole region it, it's not so important if you live in Oslo or New York or Los Angeles or London you can relate to those stories and people in the States have related to stories from British cinema for a long time so I think they could relate to, to French and, and German and Italian movies. Actually, if you look at the important uh, American directors like Martin Scorsese or Oliver Stone, they always had a penchant for those uh, European movies of the 50s, 60s, and 70s that were hugely influenced by them. And so I think it'll, it can broaden. It can definitely be interesting for a wider audience, but it, you have to have a movie a company that's behind it, a big distributor, who's sometimes it works. It worked for a while for, with British comedies, such as For Weddings and a Funeral, and you know, yeah. some European movies like that, international movies, have uh, been successful in the States. But um, 
obviously it's more interesting for American producers to produce in American movies and <laughs> movie than to do distributed a European one. Right. And I believe too, sometimes it's actually hard to translate from, you know, overseas movies to United States. Sometimes it might not translate over as well because we try to convert everything into Americanize everything to the point where it's like, we want to tell our own story and forget about what happened in the overseas thing. So we're just going to make our own story. So, yeah, it's interesting sometimes if you compare the movies and obviously you have about a handful of, of cultural references that you have to redo. You know, if you, if you have a, okay. in a, a Norwegian movie and they're referring to some local Norwegian pop star, then you have to change that into an American pop star. Right. And if it's a TV series that's big in Europe, then you have to change that to uh, uh, an American TV series. But actually, I think it's, it's a bit of a boring job for a screenwriter. I wouldn't like to do that. Just change those little cultural references and tell the same story over. Right. And I don't think it was very often rewarded, and I don't think the results are, are, are often very good and not even very successful. If you look at Three, three uh, Men and a Baby and all, all right. those movies were more charming in the original version than in the American version. Not because Americans don't make great movies. They do make great movies, but they make great original movies and not right. so much like remakes, right? Right. And another thing, too, is I have to say the closest thing to that was perfect to a remake as far as an overseas thing is Infernal Affairs, which is also called The Departed. They came out with Jet Nicholson and Leonardo DiCaprio. That is probably the closest to a perfect one. Yeah. Did you see that? Was it Japanese or Hong Kong? I'm not sure. What was it, it from? Was I want to say it was a Japanese movie of Infernal Affairs. I want, get this. I love foreign films, though, too. So I don't mm -hmm. mind reading subtitles or anything like that. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't bother me to read subtitles. So I watch just about anything I can actually gravitate towards. <laughs> so if it has a good plot, I'm going to watch it. Infernal Affairs is a great movie. And so what we if you compare those two versions, I just saw the the Departed, and that that was great. And what is the what are the pros and cons of, of each version for you? For me, it's a tie. I mean, to me, mm. it's it's different in a sense, but it's also kind of the same. But they made it their own movie, and it actually works out for, great on both ends because of the fact it's not a paint by the numbers kind of remake. It's a it's a movie that's based off the Irish mob versus uh, oh. something that's in Hong Kong or whatever. So it's mm -hmm. totally different and it's something relatable. It's also been shot in my hometown of Boston as well. So, oh. so it, it holds up to something that actually means something to me. Matter of fact, I actually did a review on the departed on my audio only podcast and I love the departed. I love eternal infernal affairs, but mm -hmm. it was like, well, how, how does the original compare to the remake? I said, to be honest with you, they run a tight race. There is no in-between with these two films for me. Okay, great. Yeah, I love so, those. Some great acting. And, and, you know, sometimes if you have those movies where you have great actors and, you know, people who are not just not famous for being uh, character actors, but movie stars like... Damon and, and Alec Baldwin. What sometimes happens is that the fame takes away from the story because you always see them like that. And they avoided that really nicely in, in um, 
the departed because you had Jack Nichols and you had Alec Baldwin yeah. as I said and other famous people but they were just actors and they emerged in that story and they stuck the stories and they were not vain in that they were not just showy for that and so I liked that that was the thing I remember most of that it was a great story and no stars took away from that by you know putting themselves too much in the in the front line Right, because it could easily say, hey, look at me. I'm Alec Baldwin. Look at me. I'm Leonardo DiCaprio, and I'm going to control this whole entire movie. But no, everybody yeah. took, knew what their characters were. They knew step-by-step step on what to do. No one felt like they were bigger than everybody else. They did their mm-hmm. job. They did what they had to do. Everybody says yes to a Marshall's Hazy film. If you don't, something's wrong with you. But, you know, yeah. but, you know that's what I loved about it was the fact that everybody was working together as a team versus saying, I am this. Like, they're uh, they're the almighty gods of Zeus or something and <laughs> saying, look at me, I'm better than you and stuff like that. And I didn't get that from The Departed at all. I felt like everybody was very well connected. Definitely. I agree. Let's see. And then... You know, like like we pointed out with the superhero films and everything, I love superhero films, but I also like to actually separate myself from the superhero films and go to other films, though, too, you know, mm-hmm. because I love creativity away from the superhero films. I'm not saying that you can't be creative with superhero films or anything like that, because look at Ant-Man. Ant-Man was a heist movie turned into a superhero movie, which is something that I love because it was something new and fresh. And then right. you have other stuff that I really love, like Honey Boy, which is a Shia LaBeouf film. Then you also have uh, The Peanut Butter Falcon with Shia LaBeouf, which is also a smaller film. Those movies were just fantastic and everything. And people right. will miss out on them because of those big budget films. But, you know, I'm just thankful enough that I can actually turn on Amazon and, or, and look at an indie film and just fall in love with it. Because it, <laughs> that's the beauty of it. Right, right. And there's just one thing I wanted to add about uh, independent movie making, which is kind of interesting because it uh, leads back to, to the very the, the best directors of professional movies. Because what, theoretically, what you can do when you have a big budget is you can shoot as much as you like, and the material is not um, expensive these days anymore because it's all digital and there's no problem. But people like Steven Spielberg or Martin Scorsese, what they do is they, they edit in the camera, they just shoot the, the, the scenes that they know that they need, they just shoot the angles. Sorry, not the scenes, the angles that they know that they need. So what you used to do in a big Hollywood movie is that you say, okay, we, we have the scene and two people talking, and then we have coverage from this side and we have coverage from that side. And so they don't do that anymore. They say, no, why would I, you know, use that, uh, why would I film that moment of the conversation from two sides if I know that I want to have this just from one angle? So they basically decide before and very well what they want to do. And that is... Ironically, how you have to shoot an independent movie because you don't have the time. You don't have the time for coverage, and you—that's also something that was, that was interesting that I had to do. And then, obviously, you have to find a style in that. Sometimes you don't even have the the coverage, or the the time if you have long scenes to put two, three, four different angles. But you just have to see. Okay, this is a, a thirty-second scene, and we're going to make it interesting by having this from one angle, 
because we don't have the time to set up another angle because we have 24 days of shooting. And so we, we better find a way of, of making the best out of that. A lot of actors who shoot both independent movies and big budget movies say it's often the most creative and the most uh, original that you come up with when you have to think of something because of, of budget reasons. That's when you really have the, the, the greatest ideas sometimes. A lot of actors then actually... For that reason, also love being uh, on, on independent movies. So that, that's what occurred to me also when I when I made my movie. That's, that's an interesting point, I think. Okay. Well, I believe this, though, too. Yeah, you only have this many minutes to actually do a certain angle. But sometimes it can actually pay off in the end. Because for me, mm-hmm. I pay attention to camera angles. <laughs> because they can either glue you into a movie or they can actually take you out of the movie, depending on how the angle is actually set up. For example, I'm going to use two examples. One is going to be a TV show. The other one's going to be a movie. The movie Don't Breathe is a perfect example of a smaller film, an independent film that was successful, which was like a $6 million budget, I believe, or a $7 million budget. Mm-hmm. And the way it was set up, you see the, the, um, the thieves going into the room. And then all of a sudden you see the other thief and everything near the wall near the corner. Mm-hmm. And then at the other corner, you actually have um, the the guy, the victim who's actually being burglarized coming through, and he's blind. He's supposed to be a blind guy trying to trap these kids into the house. So he, sure, sure. I saw that. So, right. So when I see that camera angle and everything, my mind just literally just blew because of the fact that there's a lot going on. There's a lot of tension being built up. And you don't know how much minute, how many minutes that that they spent setting up that one angle, and mm-hmm. it paid off depending on how long that whole entire angle is. Another sure. example that I have to say is Dexter from season one. I mentioned this on the show on my on the YouTube channel and also on the audio only that I converted was this. Okay, Dexter thinks that he can actually pick the lock to this ice truck killer. So mm-hmm. he can't pick the lock. So he goes outside digging inside the trash. Well, here's the thing. You don't see what's on the inside of that room. It goes in from underneath the door. door oh. And then it shows the body part in that freezer. And then mm-hmm. from the freezer, it shoots all the way to the outside to where Dexter's actually inside the trash dumpster trying to figure out if this is the ice truck killer or not the ice truck killer. So it's like an outside looking in kind of feel to it that I really liked about that. Yeah, Sure. I can see that. Yeah. you Right. So a matter of fact, I'm actually getting goosebumps just talking about that scene, but (laughs) you know, it's just like, like I said, Certain scenes can actually glue you in or they can take you out of a scene, just like how a certain piece of music can either amplify it or take you out of a scene. Mm-hmm. For example, Atomic Blonde is also another one that I didn't really care for because of the fact that it felt like a two and a half hour music video from the 80s. I was like, OK, at first I'm energized, right? Because I'm like, OK, this woman's a total badass. She just took down this guy with this 80s music. I'm like, yes, OK, this is the intro. Then all of a sudden, eight, 20 minutes later. It's music video, her taking down somebody. Music video, her taking down somebody. I'm like, okay, I'm done. It pulled me out. I ejected the disc. I've returned it back to Redbox because I just couldn't deal with it anymore. 
you know. But like I said, it goes to show you what can be be good and what can be bad. What can take you out of certain movies? Of course, definitely. And then that's but, sometimes you don't even have the you don't even get the impression that, that that's been taken into consideration. That sometimes you think they're just aiming at the lowest common denomination. They just want to make it really obvious and for everybody to understand. They don't always take into consideration people like you who've seen a movie or two and who, you know, concentrate on, on those points and camera angles and stuff like that. Right. And I feel like sometimes if they do that, they're actually trying to hide something, like within the <laughs> marketing itself. Like, it, like for instance, Jupiter Ascending. They co- were trying to cover that movie up with big special effects and everything. Yeah. It's like, look... It's like, look how glamorous this is. But what about the dialogue? What about the plot? You have a great, beautiful movie, but with shitty dialogue. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So you're trying to cover something up. <laughs> yeah. But still, that's just my perspective, you know? I mean... Yeah, I, I agree. Um, Right. What was that? There was somebody popping up, but that was just somebody saying hi. That was not a question. Yeah, that was, you know, yeah um, my friend Shirley. <laughs> Shirley's got a dog. I thought yeah. Shirley might want to ask a question. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, let's do that real quick. Okay, guys, look, we have a few minutes left of this whole entire conversation. I hope that you guys are actually enjoying the conversation that uh, Brock and I are having. Look, do us a favor. Go on ahead, write in the comments section if you have any questions for him or for me and stuff like that. Go on ahead. We'll take at least five minutes out of this episode to be able to talk about this. This is why I love the live chats. This is why I do live because I can actually answer you guys' questions. You can interrupt the show and things like that. So go on ahead. Feel free. Interrupt us as we're talking and everything. We don't mind. Go on ahead. Talk to us. Yeah. So, you know, uh, this is what I love about the live chat because it's actually a community that we can actually talk to each other. And that's actually one of the best things about the stream yards and stuff like that, that I can actually pull up people's um, live chats and everything. Sure. But it doesn't look like anybody is very talkative tonight, which is okay. <laughs> so We got other things to talk about. Right. So yeah, I, that, what, what I was going to say, because I was when when you mentioned that and how you watch movies and then I, I thought of, of that ideal um, for watching movies, which would be for actually also creating movies, which would be that old Shakespeare ideal that you have something that works on many different levels. You know, you maybe have a, a something. Uh, for somebody who's interested in, in kings and queens, and so you have the story of that on the forefront. Then you have uh, that story of, of uh, psychology, of, of uh, human emotions, and then every once in a while he, he, he's got a, a little a joke scene in between. But and if you have a good Shakespeare play and you, you uh, produce it in the right way, you can have people of all kinds of backgrounds, of all kinds of intelligent levels and they all have fun with it and so I think sometimes it's, it's sad that the studios just aim at what I refer to before as the lowest common denominator, we've got to make sure that they understand that and sometimes others really see movies and, and there's a, a nice little remark and that builds on, on 
you know, that, that kind of asks you to be smart and make a, a connection. And very often, the next sentence, they, do, they say something on the nose. You know, they explain it again. And then they destroy that because I think it was fun before. It was a nice little thing that they said and they were taking me seriously as an intelligent viewer. And now they're not, they're destroying right. that. They want to make sure that everybody understands. And I don't think everybody doesn't have to understand, not everything. So, and so I try to do that in my movie too. I try to work in different things. Actually, some things I'm working just for myself. The parts of the story that you don't need to understand and just little parts. And that you can't, that's close to impossible to understand. I asked a lot of people if they got that. Nobody's got some things that I thought of. But it doesn't matter because it's, it's, it's just things you put in for some people to see, then things you put in for other people to see. You just try to be creative. And it's equally stupid to say everybody is, 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 is stupid, so let's make a move that appeals to everyone. And but that auteur kind of thing, you know, I'm something special, and if nobody but me understands my movie, that's perfect. That's also stupid. You've got to make an effort to reach different people uh, with different backgrounds. And, right. and so that's what I was trying to do with my movie. Um, you see, I can definitely yeah. tell that's what you were trying to do. And I have to agree with you. The One of the little nitpicky things I have is don't treat us like idiots. Don't treat the average going movie audience like idiots. Don't try to yeah. explain things to us and everything. Mm -hmm. And to me, you don't have to explain everything. I mean, <laughs> you know, and there's like, and nowadays everybody wants something explained to them. I'm like, what about speculation? What about using your imagination? What about being able to speculate with among yeah. other moviegoers about how you think that this movie ended on your own merit and everything, rather than listen to the director who actually made the movie and knows why he ended it that way. He doesn't have to go in and explain why. Just use your imagination and use it for what it was intended for, because that's the beauty of actually making film, is for us to speculate, to be able to actually make us feel smarter when we're viewing a movie, yeah. because we can actually speculate. You have to engage people. Um, you know, some people, you know, just see it and eat popcorn and drink Coke and, and, and just want to be uh, played at. But most people want to be engaged. And, and then, you know, you, as a filmmaker and as a producer, you want to connect to those little neurons in their head. Because if you make them think, that movie will stay so much longer and so much more connected in their heads and in their hearts as it's supposed to just showing everything, you know, putting everything lined out there, which which is so boring. Um, but I think it's, it's sad, but we don't get to see many movies like, like that who appeal to the intelligent right. audience. <laughs> right, exactly. Like I said, we live in a different age where everything has to be explained versus something that we can just use our imaginations on. It's just the different generation that we have now. <laughs> With those movies. Yeah. Uh, do you think it's going to go on like that? Or do you, do you think they'll... Well, on the other hand, if, if um, you have so many niche audiences and you have so many chances for little movies, so there might be, you know, next to the one development going into bigger, bigger action movies and animated movies, there might be a, a, another movement with intelligent movies that don't tell you everything. Do you see right. the, aren't you optimistic about that, that there's a chance for that with the, all the streaming... I think so, because with it being the streaming services and stuff like that, it allows the audience to actually connect with it a lot more. 
and it's only like I feel like it's like a one-on-one rather than viewing it with the whole crowd because you're viewing mm. it for yourself in your own individual place at your home. Yeah. So therefore, it's just a one-on-one thing. You're just watching it for your own viewership versus singing in there with several people. So therefore, you have that one experience with yourself versus with some with other people. So therefore, you can actually probably speculate a lot more on your own self rather than anything else. <laughs> That's the way I. Right, and people But, uh, do still enjoy movies as a, an experience that they have together. They don't necessarily see movies in the same theater or in the same room, you know, with the you know, lockdowns in every so different countries. That's, that's particularly difficult. But what you can do now, you can still share movies, you can still talk about movies, and you can, you know, use uh, some modern uh, means of, of, of watching right. movies together. And, and I think it'll always be a shared ex- experience, and people will always be you know, not solitary about movies, but they'll always want to talk about them. What did it make you feel like? What did you take away from that? And so I think that will happen regardless of movies being in, in, in theaters out there or just on, on streaming services. People will always interact. Right. I can definitely agree with that. And I just want to point, okay. So we're actually running into our hour and everything. So, This is actually where we're going to have to end it, unfortunately. But I want to actually have you back on again. I've al- I always enjoy our conversations, man. It's always been great to actually have you on here. I promise you, it's not going to be longer than a month this time. I actually want to have you back, man, because we get really deep you. stuff, you know? So where can everybody you. reach you? You're welcome anytime. <laughs> Thank you for wanting to come on. It's always it's, – it's just fantastic. Wonderful, wonderful. And then just, you know, um, if people want to tune in and see our Instagram, we are at um, uh, the Midas Touch 2020. That's our Instagram. And then we're the Midas Touch dot online. You can see our, our movie um, preview. We, we have a little, two different trailers. And yeah, I love to be on your, your show. And it, it's always nice to hear your thoughtful comments on, on movies. And I love what you do for, for movies. And sure, next time we'll be on and we're talking about something different, but there's so much left to talk about. So thanks for having me. You're, you're so very much. welcome, man. Anytime. You're very welcome. So, guys, I'm, here's the thing, guys. Tomorrow, I'm actually going to be doing a movie review with uh, with someone tomorrow. I Matter of fact, I think Thursday – okay. Thursday, I actually have Rossi McCree on with me, an independent actress. We're going to be reviewing A Christmas Story. Wednesday, I'm actually going to be on somebody else's podcast reviewing A Christmas Story. <laughs> so I'm reviewing The Christmas Story twice. And then, let's see here. I'm, I'm do, actually doing two shows on Thursday. So that's going to be fun. Yeah, and then Friday, I thanks. I actually have Tamika with me again on Friday night. We're reviewing National Lampoon's Vacation with independent um, – writer i love the movie <laughs> i love it too i haven't seen it in years I, i mean man i kept on busting out laughing all the way through the whole time like i haven't even seen it in years so i'm just you know it's such a good movie and then guys we are actually doing a christmas carol muppet review on saturday and then sunday we have another little review going on and then to wrap everything up With the lights, little bow on Monday. I actually no Tuesday. 
I actually am Nicole, who is actually a independent actress, and we're going to be reviewing Jingle All the Way, the Arnold Schwarzenegger film that came out so back in the 90s. So I have a lot going on, so it's just good to actually stay busy. So this is what I want you guys to do. I'm actually sponsored by Audible, and you can actually find the link to Audible below. You can actually get a 30-day trial with Audible if you guys want to. Or you can guys get, that's actually one way to support the show. Another way that you can actually support the show is go to the GoFundMe link below. If you want to donate a couple of dollars or whatever towards the show, it actually helps with better equipment, better uh, stuff to actually serve you guys with. Plus, I want to do giveaways. So what better way to actually give back to my fans and everything than do giveaways for you. And then another thing, too, that we have going on, we if you want to get news to all the entertainment news and everything, go to www.movieloversunite.com. You can find this uh, on all podcast platforms for the audio-only version. And then, of course, you know you can also find us here on YouTube. And we also have a Pinterest called Movie Lovers TV Lovers Unite. We also have a Twitter page called Movie Lovers Unit on Twitter. Or you can follow me at John Diagorio 8 Always until next time, guys. It's been great. It's been fun. Stay safe. Disinfect your hands. Put on your mask. And bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs>